Well, good morning, everyone. That uh, video by Barry was a great uh, just segue into what we're talking about is we're going through this series called Compelling Christianity. How do we make the gospel of Jesus Christ compelling to the world that we find ourselves in today? And uh, it's interesting. Some people have a variety of uh, ways that they do this. My wife uh, is the cross-country coach for uh, one of the high schools in West Bend, and they were just uh, up in Manitowoc for their, uh, for their conference meet. And on the way back, they went out to eat at this restaurant. And at this restaurant, they were uh, handing out these things called tracks. Now, if you grew up in a certain church at a certain time, you know what a track is, okay? You guys, any, any, you know what tracks are, okay? If you're not familiar with what a track is, a track is a little a religious pamphlet that's designed to kind of explain uh, the the gospel or, and and help people understand and maybe make a decision for Jesus Christ and 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 uh, so you've maybe seen come across these from time to time. The one that that she got and uh, that she brought back was really kind of interesting. I had never seen this before. It was uh, this one. If you want to put the first slide up there. This, uh, you can't, you probably can't see it because it's called The Beast. Okay? <laughs> and, uh, and as I was reading through this, this pamphlet called The Beast, I, I learned some pretty interesting things. What's the, the one page there? Next slide there. He says, life as it is today. Okay? I'll kill you for that. You remind me of fourth, fourth wife, you know. <laughs> You, you know, and all, all this stuff is going on. And I'm like, life as it is, they just like downtown Kiwaskum, right? You know, and, and I found it's one of the things I'm like, I'm like that, that actually it's going to be very different later on. The next slide. The, the world is going to become one gigantic witch's coven. And Satan is already saturating the world. You know, so I read this. I'm like, oh, I hope I'm not around to see that happen. You know, I don't want to last that long. And uh, and there's other things that I found out in, in this booklet uh, that I can't even put up here because I don't want to scare the little ones. Okay, you know. And so uh, I don't know how your reaction is. Thanks. You can take that. Please, please take it down. Uh, um, I don't know what your reaction is to something like that, but the reaction of the high school cross country team was that that was really kind of a joke, you know. And and I don't know what you think about about these things, but I would beg to argue that the net effect of, of something like this is that it doesn't actually end up drawing people closer to Jesus Christ. The, the net effect is that it actually, in a lot of instances, repels people further uh, away from Jesus Christ. And, uh, and so it's interesting, as, as our, our world you know, gets worse and worse, you know, Christians are going to have to figure out a way, how do we make the gospel of Jesus Christ compelling? Because in our world, uh, a lot of people, when they think of evangelical Christianity, they think of, they think of this, right here, protesting Christians, that we are just arrogant, self-righteous, condemning individuals that want to convince people that our way is right and your way is wrong, and that if you don't come around to be believing what we believe and embracing our lifestyle, then chances are pretty good that you may end up going to hell. Okay? Isn't this compelling? Makes you want to go run out and join the movement, doesn't it? You know, stuff like that. Now, what's interesting to me, thanks, you can take that off. Um, what's interesting to me 
is that we, as a movement of Jesus Christ, have somehow become known for the very thing that Jesus said he never came to do. Okay? Jesus said twice in the Gospel of John, these verses up there, that he did not come to condemn the world. In John 3.17, he says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. John 3.17. And then he says in John 12, If anyone hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge that person. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. And so it's, it's so interesting to me and intriguing to me that, uh, that the very thing that Jesus said that he did not come to do, he specifically said he did not come to condemn the world or to judge the world, that the followers of Jesus Christ, the people who are part of his movement, are actually known for. We're known for the very thing that Jesus said he never came to do, and that is, is, is judging people. And so you might say, uh, in fact, we're so compelling, we're, we're so compelling and attractive as a movement today that the fastest growing religious demographic in America today are the nuns. Have you heard of the nuns? Like, not a nun as in, like, someone who wears a habit and teaches in a religious school or anything like that. Nuns are people who ascribe to the fact that when they get a survey and say, they would say, what religion are you? They check none. That's, that's who the, the researchers are calling the nuns. And they are the fastest growing religious block in the United States today, are the nuns. And so you may say to yourself, like, well, Mike, you know, that's not surprising at all. That, that, that doesn't su- surprise me because the world is becoming a worse and worse place. And, and uh, you know, and, and we see this all the time. If you've worked in the school district for any length of time or if you've worked in the, in the Justice Department for any length of time, you see this on a regular daily basis. In general, on the whole, the world is not becoming a better place. Okay? But I would just say this, that because of that, because of that, we now, more than ever, as followers of Jesus Christ, need to portray a compelling, convincing, attractive, beautiful, persuasive form of Christianity now more than ever before. Because if we don't do this to the world at large, who else is going to do that? And so to help us understand how to do this and how to do this well, we're going through this book of Timothy, or not Timothy, Titus. Very close. They're right next to each other. We're going through the book of Titus. And so I want to invite you to turn to your book, the book of Titus this morning. You'll find that on page 844. 844. And Titus was this friend, this kind of co-worker of the Apostle Paul. And he was left on the island of Crete to kind of take care of some things after Paul had left. And so Paul is writing him these instructions. And if you think the United States is a bad place today, you should have seen the island of Crete. Most ancient commentators all routinely denounce the the island of Crete as being full of treachery, wickedness, drunkenness, all sorts of immorality. It was this... Not a nice place to be. Now, Crete was roughly about 150... It's an island off uh, the coast of Greece in the Mediterranean. It's roughly about 150 miles wide, 35 miles, wi- uh, 35 miles wide at the widest point. So just imagine, like, if you took highways 41 and 43 in, from Milwaukee all the way to Green Bay, they kind of diverge and then they come back together again up in Green Bay. That Turn that on its side, 
and uh, drop it in the Mediterranean, and you've got the island of Crete. Okay, that's about how big it was. And um, and and Titus is left there, and um, and Paul is going to write to him that uh, about how to portray and how to display a convincing, compelling version of Christianity. And and Crete was so bad that this ancient writer had this to say about Crete. So if we put that up there, this is what he says. Greed and avarice are so native to the soil of in Crete that they are the only people in the world among whom no stigma attaches any sort of gain whatsoever, whatever. Cretans, by their ingrained greediness, are engaged in countless public and private seditions, murders, and civil wars. I will now address myself to showing that the Cretan constitution deserves neither praise nor imitation. So basically what he's saying, you don't want to be like a Cretan. You don't want to be like from the people of Crete. Now, with a few exceptions, you could find no habits prevailing in private life more steeped in treachery than those in Crete and no more public policy more inequitable. Okay? That's from a guy named Polybius. Poor guy. Polybius. Uh, and and I, I don't understand everything that he says there, but all I know is that you don't want to be from Crete. Okay? It was not a nice place to be. And so Paul, writing to Titus, who's then going to implement these instructions all over to the network of house churches all over on the island of Crete, explains how, and describes to believers how people from various demographic backgrounds, various social strata, can make the gospel of Jesus Christ attractive. In fact, at the very end of this passage that we're going to read today, Paul says this very thing. At the very end, in, in verse 10, he says this, so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. This is Paul's main point in the whole passage that we're going to read today, that we as his followers would make the teaching of Jesus Christ attractive. So how do we do that? How do we make the gospel or the teaching of Jesus Christ compelling to the world around us? How do we make it attractive to those who are watching us? Do we print up little tracts talking about the Antichrist and the end of the world? Or do we carpet bomb our, you know, our whole neighborhood with you know, kind of brochures about our church and how great it is and stuff like that? I would submit to you that what Paul is going to tell the people in Crete today, in Titus today, is that the most compelling evidence and argument for the gospel of Jesus Christ are lives that have been changed by Jesus Christ. The most compelling argument and evidence for the gospel are lives that have been changed by Jesus Christ. So let's turn to Titus chapter 2. We're going to read uh, this together here. Titus chapter 2, we're going to read verses 1 through 10. Paul talking to Titus. You must teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound in faith, in love, and in endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanders or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, and to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. In everything, set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. 
Teach slaves to be subject to their masters and everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them, and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted, so that in every way they will make the teaching about God, our Savior, attractive. Now, there's lots of stuff in here, lots of good stuff. Um, some stuff might uh, been, have been a little bit of a red flag for you. There's some stuff in here that you may be like, I, I, I'm not sure if I really like that. Mike, I mean, for one thing, he talks about slavery. Okay, we haven't had slavery in this country for over 150 years. And Paul almost seems to be condoning it here. You know, what's up with that? We're going to be kind of getting into, uh, into all of that. But, uh, but what he does is that he begins to just kind of work through the way that the gospel should be transforming the lives of these people on the island of Crete from different demographics strata. And he starts off with the older men. He says men are supposed to be temperate, worthy of respect, and self-controlled. You know, okay, so there's this triad of adjectives there, and then there's some overlap there. But they all the big idea is that they are supposed to be sober, both physically and metaphorically. They're to be sober-minded. Again, uh, if you're typical Christian in the island of Crete, or your typical person in the island of Crete, put up that one slide of uh, the pirates. So think of this. <laughs> when you think of Crete, think of, think of pirates of the Caribbean, all right? Now, if your typical person on the island of Crete is, is like Jack Sparrow here, who's going from various levels of drunkenness all throughout the, 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 the movies there of pirates of the Caribbean, a person who decides to live a sober lifestyle and be sober-minded to be serious, is going to stand out from the rest. Is he not? You know, We saw this when we were in Russia as a family. And the, the men in our church, when they would come to Christ, drunkenness and alcoholism is so prevalent in Russia. I mean, Russians love their vodka, right? You know, And the, the alcoholism rate among Russian males is, is somewhere around 50%. In fact, two, I, I read an article one time that two out of three Russian males... When they die, they are drunk when they die. And I was actually with a friend of mine after a wedding one time. We were driving, and he stopped by this kiosk, and he says to me, he says, he says Mike, he goes, I'm going to the kiosk to buy some vodka. Are you going to drink with me tonight? And I said, you know, uh, Coley, I just got done reading this, this article, and it said that two out of three Russian men, when they die, they dr- they're drunk when they die. And he says, oh, that's just American propaganda. Where did you read that? And his wife was in the passenger seat next to him. And she said, well, wait a second, Kolya. She says, for us, there's, there's Bolva, there's Sasha, there's Yura. And she starts listing off all these names. She says, for us, it's more than two-thirds of our friends. And in the Russian church, when men come to Jesus Christ, one of the first things they do to stand out from the crowd and stand out from the rest is they just decide wholeheartedly not to drink. Because they want to be different. They want to be distinct. And they're allowing Jesus to change their lives. And they're saying... I don't need to do this anymore. I don't need to go out on the weekends and drink a half a liter of vodka with my, my friends. And they begin to, to display lives that are sober-minded, that are self-controlled. And as they do that, they begin to live lives that are different and distinct and compelling. And people begin to take notice and they say, you're not like everyone else. And then Paul goes on to say that they should be known for their, for their faith, for their love, and their, for their endurance. That they, should, that they should be men who are known for being, having a deep and abiding faith. 
in the living God, that they should be known for being men of love, that they love their wives, they love their families, they love people around them, and that they are persevering and enduring even through hard times. And that if you live a life like that, men in the, in, in the audience, the women, you can just tune me out now. But men, you can listen, listen to me. If you live a life like this, more and more you are going to stand out. As we enter into a world and enter into a time when grown men more and more are acting like teenage boys and, they are, and, and men are becoming so selfish and so disconnected and so absent from their families as we live lives that are self-controlled, that are defined by the love of Jesus Christ, that are defined by faith in the living God, we are just going to stand out more and more. In our, in, in our world, and we're going to be compelling to the people around us because the most compelling argument and evidence for the gospel is not tracks or not anything else or not even our, our Sunday morning services, but they are lives that have been changed and transformed by Jesus Christ. Our friend, his name is Kurt, and uh, he's part of our West Bend site, and uh, the first time that I met Kurt... He was, uh, he was, we were actually setting up for a Good, uh, good Friday service in, um, down at the, county, uh, at the county fairgrounds. And uh, I was with Scott Cole, and we were setting up, and Scott looks at Kurt, and he says, did you used to play pool in Allenton? And Kurt says, yeah, that was me. And he says, oh, yeah, I think I played pool against you. And, and Kurt's like, yeah, that's pretty, pretty good, good, probably good, a pretty good chance. And then he walks away, and Scott turns to me and goes, I saw him take on three bikers, biker dudes, and win in a fight. That guy's been kicked out of every single bar in Washington County. He's this angry, surly, drunk guy. But at some point in time, Jesus Christ got a hold of Kurt's life, and he radically transformed and changed. And now he is one of the most loving, one of the most affectionate guys. Kurt's hugs are a little bit too much for me. His... His sense of, of personal boundaries is, is not my, my sense of personal boundaries. You know? and, and he's just this wonderful, patient guy. And now Kurt, he's a handyman by trade, by trade. He's working for a friend up in Sheboygan County. And this uh, guy knew Kurt from his former life. And he's asking him, what happened to you? And Kurt is able to tell him, it's Jesus. It's Jesus Christ. So then Paul goes on. Talking about the men, talking about, uh, talking about the women, talking about the women. He says, uh, he says that women likewise are in the same way are to be temperate, worthy of respect, that they're to be reverent in the way that they live. And that they're to avoid two habits that evidently the women of Crete were known for at this time. One is that they're not to be slanders, not to be backbiting or gossiping or drama queens at all. And they're not to be addicted to much wine. So evidently the women, following the, the lead of the men had this propensity towards wine, you know. I, uh, I, I saw this, this frame one time. It says, it says, what does it say? Wine, how classy people get trashed or something like that. You know, I was going to put that on PowerPoint, but clearer minds prevailed. So, um, but, but essentially what Paul is saying is that ladies, just like the men, need to show that now that Jesus has come into their life, now that the Holy Spirit has come into their life, they are not controlled anymore by wine. They're controlled by the Holy Spirit of God. 
In fact, Paul says in, in Ephesians 5, he says, don't be controlled by wine. Don't let wine control you, but instead be filled by the Holy Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit be the one that's controlling you and filling you. And in that way, you will be demonstrating to the rest of the world around you what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And then he says uh, in verses 4 and 5 here, he says, he says, Then they can train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, to be subject to the husbands, so that no one will malign the word of God. Again, there's Paul's Paul's main concern there, that no one will malign the word of God. How are people going to understand the gospel of Jesus Christ? They're going to understand it through the power of compelling lives that have been changed by Jesus Christ. He talks about that uh, older women should be teaching younger women. And we need this in the church today. Older women need to be mentoring younger women. We need to be showing and passing on what it looks like to love a family well, to love a children well. For those of us who came to Christ not and didn't grow up in a church family or a church-going family, we need this. My wife, Kara, she did not grow up in a Christian family. She did not have a mom who did this well. In fact, she doesn't ever remember her mom telling her that she loves her. She doesn't ever remember her mom ever hugging her. She doesn't ever remember her mom sitting down and asking her how her day went. She never saw any of that. So for my wife to be able to learn how to do that, she had to go to older women. And she sought older women out who knew how to do this well, who already raised their families and who loved their families well. And she would go to them and she would sit at their feet and say, literally, teach me how to do this. And because of that, my wife is one of the most loving moms that I know. She loves her family well because she's had older women pour into her. In fact, my wife is is such a loving mom that she stood me up last night for a date because she wanted to be home with our kids, you know? And so, but, but she now leads this life. She leads this wonderful life that is this compelling life. And other people who know Kara and know how she loves her family and knows how she loves her kids are actually sees her life and they're compelled towards her and they want to know what it is about her. And she's then able to tell them about Jesus Christ. And there, there's, this, there's this one phrase in here that, that some of you might might not like a whole lot. It says, so be busy at home to be kind and to be subject to their husbands. Ew. How many of you like that phrase? You know? Subject. You know, you know and, and you might listen to that and say, you know what, that, that doesn't seem, you know, right. That doesn't seem fair to, to me. And all I can say to you right here is like, you have to remember, Paul is not concerned about fairness in these verses right here. That is not his main concern. His main concern is how do the people of Crete make the gospel of Jesus Christ attractive and compelling to the people around him. And he's saying, listen, in this depraved, you know, kind of, kind of debauchery kind of generation here on Crete, you're going to make the gospel look attractive in the way that you love your husbands. And when fam- in families, when husbands are respectful, okay, and respectable, and wives are respectful, that in and of itself is a compelling ethic for Christianity. That's why I love the fact that we started with this video by Barry Gordon and Melissa Gordon. Did you hear what he said? It was his wife's grace and love that showed him Jesus Christ, 
that drew him to Jesus Christ to the point where he was able to accept Jesus Christ into his life as his personal Savior. But it began with his wife living a compelling lifestyle. And this is how the gospel is spreading all over the world today, folks, is through compelling lives. In the Middle East, in, in Muslim countries, the church is just taking off. Okay? You may not be hearing about it because they don't talk about this stuff on the network news. Okay? But there are areas, there are Muslim countries where the church is growing so fast okay, that they don't even know what to do about it. Sometimes they, think, sometimes they think that there's going to be a bloodbath because the church is just growing so fast. But entire mosques have come to faith in Christ. Now, in some countries, what happens is that when a Muslim comes to faith in Christ, they declare it publicly and boldly. And they say, I'm a Christian now. Okay? And then they get killed or they're ostracized from their family. Okay? And they, they have no influence in their relational network whatsoever. But in places where the gospel is growing the fastest and the church is growing the fastest, this is what happens, is that a Muslim comes to faith in Jesus Christ. And then they allow Jesus to change them so much from the inside out. They become better husbands. They become better wives. They become better neighbors. They become the best version of themselves to the people around them. They become some of the best employees. And then as people become asking them, what's happening in your lives? You just become a much better person. And they begin to say, they say to them at that point, they say, you know what? I've begun to follow the teachings of the prophet Jesus because Jesus is one of the Islamic prophets. They, he's right in there with the rest of them. And they, they say, would you be interested in following some of the teachings of Jesus with me? And they're like, sure. So they begin studying the words of Jesus. And these people go from being intrigued about Jesus to being curious about Jesus to being convinced that Jesus really is who he always said he was, the way, the truth, and the life. And they become Christ followers. And this is how the gospel is growing exponentially in some of the most repressive Muslim countries in the world. And the same thing that is true in the Middle East is true here as well. The most compelling argument and ethic and evidence for the gospel of Jesus Christ is a compelling life that has been changed by Jesus Christ. This is what Paul wants to say to the people in Crete. This is what Paul wants to say to us today is that if we want to display to the world a compelling version of Christianity, it doesn't begin with tracks. It doesn't begin with advertising, inviting people to come to our services. It becomes with, begins with us and allowing Jesus to show, so change us from the inside out through the power of his Holy Spirit that we begin to live in a way that is dramatically different from the world around us, that people are compelled to Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, we really, really need to get this. We really want to understand this well. We realize fully that here in America, the Church of Jesus Christ, in many ways we failed we failed to demonstrate to people what you're really like. Somehow we've come off as judgmental, as condemning, as, as doing the very thing that Jesus said that he never came to do, to 
condemn the world. But Lord, we know, and the gospel tells us, and Paul instructs us here in Titus, that the the way that we're going to be most compelling to our world is to allow you to change us, to change our marriages, to change our families, to allow us to be the best kind of employees that we possibly could be. We didn't even get a chance to talk about what, what Paul says about slaves, which is typically an employee in today's vocabulary. That if we are known for being the best workers, the best employees, that that makes the gospel attractive. So we pray that you would help us to do this more and more and more. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.